0: Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever the case may be, as you tune in to another podcast of the Sabbath School Quarterly. For this quarter, we are looking at the book of Isaiah. It's been an exciting journey through this book, and uh, lesson 11 is this week's topic, and we're looking at love. Love. God's love, God's grace. My name is Danny Malenkov and I'm the pastor of the Hillview Seventh Adventist Church. So I'm looking forward to journeying with you through this lesson for this week. Before we plunge into the lesson, I just want to pause and invite you wherever you may be just to bow your heads with me. If you're driving, certainly don't do that. Keep looking out the front window as we pray and seek the Lord's guidance in this lesson. Father in heaven, we ask and pray that you will bless our time together in your word as we open your word, open our hearts and our minds that we may be willing and ready to receive what the Holy Spirit wants to share with us is our prayer in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Now, I want to just begin by taking a look at uh, this memory verse uh, They could have chosen any particular memory verse in Isaiah 55 and Isaiah 58. These are the two chapters that we're going to be uh, mainly looking at today in the book of Isaiah. But they've chosen Isaiah 58, 10. And I want to read that to begin with just to set the stage. This is what it says. If you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then your light shall dawn in the darkness and your darkness shall be as the noonday. It's a powerful promise that God here makes in Isaiah 58. And uh, we're going to be taking a look at that chapter in a little bit more detail. Now, the lesson here begins with, uh, with a powerful story, a powerful testimony. I want to read it to you regarding the power of grace. There is no greater power in the universe then the power of grace, the power of love, and the power of grace, the power of love, they are synonymous. Uh, This is what it says, and I've heard this story before, and it reminded me, and I think it's, uh, it's worth sharing, and I'm sure you're going to enjoy it if you haven't heard it. A Jewish cantor, that is uh, a worship leader, and his wife, who lived in Lincoln, Nebraska, that's in the United States, began receiving threatening and obscene phone calls. They discovered the calls came from a leader of an American hate group, the Ku Klux Klan. Knowing his identity, they could have turned him into the police, but instead they decided on a more radical approach. Now, what did they decide to do? Check this out. When they learned that he was crippled they showed up at his front door with dinner imagine he was utterly flabbergasted his hatred melted before their love the couple kept visiting him and the friendship grew he even thought of becoming a Jew himself and uh, and really that is uh the essence of of the of the lesson for, for this week, it's seeking to show the love of Christ. And as I shared earlier, uh, there is nothing more powerful than showing the love of Christ, showing the grace of Christ. That is the most powerful power in the universe. For the Bible says God is love and God is the most powerful uh, being in the universe and he espouses love for that is who he is It's interesting, um, the lesson here points out that uh, not only uh, are we released from hatred and evil and Satan's grip when uh, we practice love, but also as in the case of this illustration, those who are seeking to do us evil are also blessed in that the power of love has the ability to transform their lives as well. And so, you know, the enemy, we've got to remember, you know, the enemy Satan, he seeks to steal, kill and destroy. He does not care who he does that to. He wants all to go down with him. He knows he's going down. He wants all to go down with him. So, he's seeking to do all he possibly can to 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 bring about as much evil as he can that he can take as many people into his evil net as possible. So, if you show grace, if you show love, if you show forgiveness to your enemy, you are being used by God as an instrument of reconciling this individual or individuals to God and um, that they may experience grace. I think of the words of Jesus on the cross where he cried out, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they are doing. And so Jesus here was was showcasing grace, the power of grace and his enemies. Um, He prayed for them and he asked his father to forgive his enemies because Jesus knew that the only way he could win the hearts of all, be they his friends, be they his enemies, is by showing continual love. Now, We want to take a look at this idea of grace here in Isaiah chapter 55. And if you have your Bibles there with you, um, I'd encourage you to follow along with me. We're going to look through Isaiah 55. It's a powerful chapter and uh, I have, um, yeah, I've been blessed by uh, an element of this chapter that I'll share with you in a little bit. Um, But I want to begin with verse one, chapter 55, verse one. And this is what Isaiah writes. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Yes, come, buy wine and milk, without money and without price. Why do you spend money for what is not bread, and your wages for what does not satisfy Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me hear, and your soul shall live and I'll make an everlasting covenant with you. The sure mercies of David. This is the first three verses of Isaiah 55. And it's interesting here right at the outset. um, God uh, invites the people to come, come and buy and eat, come buy and eat. And uh, he's he's inviting the children of Israel to reestablish the covenant that God made with them. Now, during the time of Isaiah, sadly, The children of Israel um, uh, had wandered uh, far from God. And um, even though even though there was prophet after prophet, uh, warning them of the consequences of turning your back on God, uh, asking God out of your life, out of your community and what would follow, they they continued to rebel. And so Isaiah here is pleading with the people to come. It reminds me of the last invitation in Scripture. If you go to the book of Revelation, we won't go there right now, Revelation 22, and I believe it is verse 17, off memory. It's a scripture I've quoted a number of times, Revelation 22, 17. And there, on three occasions, the Bible says, you know, and, and the spirit and the bride say, come, and let him who is thirsty come, and let he who wants to take the water of life freely come. And I'm kind of paraphrasing, I'm going off memory. But uh, the message of come come, come. It's, it's all the way through. And if you think of that message of come, receive that grace, God is inviting us to receive that grace. That message is right from the very beginning of time. If you think of Adam and Eve, after they sinned, what did they do? You'll remember after they sinned, they fled. They ran away from God. They went to hide and God comes looking for them. And he says, where are you? I'm I'm, I'm seeking you. I'm inviting you to come into my presence. And so the good news of the gospel, the good news of grace is right there in the very Garden of Eden. That's the very first thing that God does. He invites Adam and Eve to come to him. Because they want to run from him, but instead he invites them to come to him. I think of the words of Jesus in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, uh, where he says, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now, what does it mean when it says, come, buy and eat um, without money and without price? Does that mean that salvation um, didn't cost anything? It doesn't cost us. Anything? Well, it does, and I'll get to that in a moment. Um, it certainly cost heaven everything. In fact, as as someone put it, uh, God was willing to bankrupt heaven in giving Jesus Christ for the human race. And First uh, Peter, chapter one, verses eighteen and nineteen. Uh, this is what Peter records regarding um, what. Heaven invested in order to save the human race. He writes, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but he goes on with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. So we have been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ, as Peter puts it, the precious blood of Jesus Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, a perfect, innocent lamb was Jesus Christ. It was the lamb that takes away the sins of the world. And that is, that is the only way that we could experience forgiveness and grace and reconciliation with God. That is the only way we can come to God through Christ. We cannot come and bring anything. We can't come and bring our good works. We can't come and bring our achievements. Uh, We can't come and bring any of that because the Bible says that's nothing more than filthy rags. And I think Isaiah is the one that that uses that language that our righteousness is nothing but filthy rags. That nothing new under the sun, because that is exactly how uh, the good news of grace was first um, given out to the human race. I shared earlier, um, God meeting Adam and Eve, inviting them to come into his presence, inviting them to come into his embrace after they had sinned. Uh, we know what Adam and Eve put on uh, when, they, when they saw their nakedness, when the glory of God had departed from them and now they found themselves as sinners. The Bible says they clothed themselves with fig leaves, but even so they were still naked. They f- still felt nakedness because uh, there is only one thing that will take away our nakedness. And that is the grace and the forgiveness that comes from Jesus Christ alone. And so at the end of chapter three, won't take the time to read that, but you can take a look at uh, at, at, those, at that verse at the end of chapter 3. The Bible says, God clothed Adam and Eve with tunics of skin, with tunics of skin. So in order to have um, an animal's skin covering, what do you need to do to that poor animal? That animal's life must come to an end. And so and so God killed um, at least two innocent animals lambs or at least two innocent animals. We're assuming that they were lambs um, that were without blemish, without spot. They were innocent in order to clothe Adam and Eve there at the very beginning of time whilst they were still in the Garden of Eden. And then God sent them out of the Garden of Eden. Now when it comes to when it comes to salvation um, there is a misconception um, in in Christian circles that uh, in the old testament uh God's people were saved by the old covenant that was based on works, salvation by works, Uh, whereas in the New Covenant under Jesus Christ who has come and he's ushered in the New Covenant, we are saved by grace. That could not be further from the truth. And that illustration that I gave from the Garden of Eden is absolutely crystal clear that God's people have always and only ever been saved by God's grace alone, not of works, lest anyone should boast. That's the Apostle Paul and, and him speaking in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, that we are saved by God's grace and always have been through faith and not of ourselves. It is the gift of God. Now, what's it going to cost? What is it going to cost? It's not going to cost us salvation. We can't purchase salvation through dollars and cents, through silver or gold, through any of our good works or achievements. We cannot purchase salvation by anything we do or accomplish. We can't. So then what will it take? What is the cost that Isaiah here is speaking of, that God through Isaiah is speaking of? But the lesson picks this up, and, and this is right on the money. Excuse the pun. And that is that what God is requiring is total surrender. Total surrender. I want to read to you a couple of um, scriptures from Jesus where he says in Matthew 10 verses 37 to 39, Jesus says, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. What's Jesus here saying? He's saying, if you want to be my follower, if you want to experience my reconciling grace, if you want to come into my heart and into into my kingdom, if you want to be part of my kingdom, the only way forward is for you to die to self for you to be willing to die to self, to take up your cross and to follow me, to follow in my footsteps as I prayed, Father, not my will be done, but your will be done. That is what I'm inviting you to do, to be my follower, to be my disciple, to walk in my footsteps. In Luke chapter 9, verse 23, uh, the same words here um, but with uh, with a slight um, with a slight addition uh, we read from Jesus where he says to all his disciples and all those that were there at the time listening he says, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me And that really is the greatest challenge. the greatest challenge is to deny self because we are born selfish individuals. We come out of the womb um, thinking about me, myself and I. And uh, that is just how we are. We are born in sin and we are born sinful. And so the only way God can prepare us for his heavenly courts above is if through Christ and through the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, Christ crucifies in us. We allow him to crucify Within us, self, because self is what stops us from receiving the full and complete grace of God that brings about transformation. Self, why why did Lucifer, or, why, or, 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 why, or should I say, why was Lucifer banished from heaven? Why did he become the devil and Satan and the third of his angels, according to Revelation 12? It's because he could not let go of self. He could not let go of self. It was all about I, 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 I. And you can read about that in Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 to 14. So God is trying um, his utmost to to set us free from the ball and chain that Lucifer has has bound us to on this sin sick planet because we are sinners. God is trying to separate us. He's trying to set us free from that ball and chain, which is called self. And that's why Jesus invites us to be part of, of, of his kingdom and to live in harmony with the principles of his kingdom, which is about thinking of others before ourselves. And that's what and that's what Isaiah 58 picks up on. Now, before we go to Isaiah 58, um, I do want to share with you, I shared with you there's a, a, a couple of verses here that I um, claim um, on a regular occasion at least once a year uh, because that's uh, it has been at least, uh, I, I, I do at least one evangelistic program a year in my church or have up until uh, COVID came to town last year and that kind of derailed um, 2020. But God willing, we'll get back on the train and um, and and look to have another evangelistic outreach this year at my church but this is the this is the wonderful promise that that I claim and this is in connection with God's grace and and not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance as second Peter 3 9 puts it and this is in verses 8 and 9 of Isaiah 58, uh, where, where God says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And in verse 10, for as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth and make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall be. My word that goes forth from my mouth, it shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. Uh, I love that scripture because there God promises um, that his thoughts are not our thoughts. And thank God that his thoughts are not our thoughts and his ways are not our ways. And um, that his ways and his thoughts are uh, are far greater and grander uh, than ours as the heaven as the heaven is um, compared to the earth. Um, But I love this promise where God says, as the rain comes down and waters the earth and and brings about um, a harvest, so too his word that goes forth from his mouth does not return to him void, but it accomplishes what he pleases or what he purposes and what's God's plan. God's plan that all may repent and that all may receive this gift of salvation that we've been talking about, that they may receive the gift of God's grace, this, this unimaginable, incredible um, gift from heaven in order to save the human race. And so that's Isaiah 55. There's so much more that could be shared um, on the story of redemption. Uh, but there's just uh, no more time. But I do just want to share probably this um this one statement um, here from Ellen White, My Life Today, it's in the lesson in, in Monday's section where she writes, the theme of redemption is one, of, is one that the angels desire to look into. It will be the science and the song of the redeemed throughout the ceaseless ages of eternity. Is it not worthy of careful thought and study right now? And we've only dedicated 20 minutes thus far to this. I wish we had uh, more time. She goes, the subject is inexhaustible. The study of the incarnation of Christ, his atoning sacrifice and mediatorial work will employ the more mind of the diligent student as long as time shall last and looking to heaven with its unnumbered years, he will exclaim, great is the mystery of godliness. Yeah, so that's just a, a powerful statement. now yeah, We're going to go to Isaiah 58 in a few minutes that we have remaining. I want to take a look at Isaiah 58. Now, in Isaiah 58, um, we have we have a passage here uh, that begins with um, some very interesting language um, that I believe is very much applicable to us. So I want to start reading from uh, verse one. Cry aloud. This is Isaiah 58, verse one. Cry aloud, spare not, lift up your voices like a trumpet. Tell my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their God. They ask of me the ordinance of justice. They take delight in approaching God. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen? Why have we afflicted our souls and you take no notice? In fact, in the day of your fast, you find pleasure and exploit all your laborers. And it goes on and on and, um, and God here recounts uh, these outward acts of fasting and, um, and, and the children of Israel um, performing these rites and these rituals in order to try and um, please God. And, and as you read through, um, God says, that's not what I'm after. That is not what I'm interested in. I'm not interested in you showing me how pious, how holy you are. And yet he goes on and he he talks about um, how they are are perpetrating injustice um, continually. And here God says through his servant Isaiah, he says, cry aloud, spare not, tell my people their transgressions. Okay. this language is very interesting as it goes through and it speaks of, you know, speaks of the fasting here uh, that is taking place. This is all Day of Atonement language, Day of Atonement language where they fasted. On that most sacred um, day in the Jewish calendar when the high priest went into the most holy place, and the sins from the sanctuary that had been accumulating for the entire year, all 360 days of that year, they had 30-day um, months, those sins would be would be taken out of the sanctuary, and the sanctuary would be cleansed. They would humble themselves. And And so this happened on the day of atonement, and so we have here we have here the the children of Israel being encouraged by God as to what they ought to do, and the kind of fast that God is interested in. And notice the kind of fast that God wants from his people. not so much, personal. Piety and ritualism and so forth as important as that is. But notice God here speaks to them in verse 9. I want to pick it up in verse 9. In fact, verse 6, is not this the fast that I have chosen? Is God speaking to loose the bonds of of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free and that you break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out? when you see the naked that you cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh, then he says, you shall, sorry, then your light shall break forth like the morning, your healing shall spring forth speedily and your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. So what God here is saying to the children of Israel is saying the things that I am interested in, are acts of love, Acts of grace, acts of mercy, once again, demonstrating God's grace as Jesus came and demonstrated his grace toward us. Not only in what he said, he said some wonderful, gracious things, but Jesus demonstrated his grace by by acts of love, acts of kindness, acts of mercy, acts of forgiveness, and ultimately by dying on the cross. These were all tangible demonstrations of his love. And I think of the words of Jesus in Matthew 25 there in the parable of the sheep and the goats, that which will divide the world into two groups, those who are the saved, the sheep, those who are the lost and the goats. Uh, the difference between the two um that Jesus here uh, emphasizes in Matthew twenty-five, the group that will be saved and the group that will be lost, that all hinges upon uh, what did you do for the least of these, my brethren. Jesus calls them his brethren, those that are those that are suffering. <laughs> Excuse me, those that are the downtrodden. <clears throat> and I think, and we won't take the time to look at uh, Matthew twenty-five verse 40, and you can read that whole parable in your own time. But it's interesting there. Jesus pinpoints six different um, elements of human needs, six characteristics of human need. And I believe these are comprehensive around the world all the time. He points out food, water, clothing, shelter, sickness, and those who are in prison. These are the basics. These are the essentials for for human living. Now, you may be thinking, well, yeah, I get food, I get water, I get clothing, I get shelter, I get sickness. Yes, I need to be there to encourage someone who is sick. But what about this prison business, Danny? I mean, prison. I mean, how many people go and visit someone in prison? Um, I don't know anyone in prison. Um, You know, it's not easy to get into prison. I mean, you know, what did Jesus mean? You know, you visited me in prison. Yes, we can certainly visit people um, who are in a literal physical prison, but you may not know someone who is in a literal physical prison. There may not be a prison where you are, and so you may be wondering, well, that doesn't really apply to me. I can, I can, I can work on the on the five, on the five other ones, but the prison one, I can't. Let me suggest to you that we think a little bit more broadly of prison. Do we live today in a day and age when people are suffering from depression? From anxiety, from sadness. They're, they're, they're suffering mentally, psychologically, socially, loneliness. Uh, we talk about we talk about the COVID pandemic, and it certainly is. But during COVID, I don't need to remind you loneliness. Has, has has become an even greater pandemic. It was already uh, horrible before the pandemic began and with the lockdowns and the social isolation and so on and so forth, um, it's, become, it's become horrendous. These people are in a prison of, of isolation, of, of depression, of anxiety, of fear, of restlessness, of no hope. You, through Christ, have the opportunity to set them free by pointing them to Jesus, the one who is able to set the captives free. And so if there ever was a need for prison ministry, it's today and it's all around you. Your your prison ministry is as close as your own home or as close as your next door neighbour, the person at work, the person wherever you and I can be involved in this wonderful ministry. And that's what it's all about. And at the end of Isaiah... Um we have here God connecting um, good works and good deeds with the Sabbath. I won't take the time to read verses thirteen and fourteen because we are almost out of time, and there's only a couple of minutes left. Um, I just want to and I want to share with you a story before I finish, but here uh, we have the Sabbath connected. Uh, very clearly with the Day of Atonement, which is the time that you and I are now living in. We are living in the judgment hour. We are living in the antitypical Day of Atonement. And the next event is the coming of Jesus. And so if ever there was a time when uh, the Sabbath and, um, and doing God's will and doing God's pleasure and not our own on the Sabbath um, was to bring healing and bring hope bring meaning and purpose into the lives of people to to show them love, to show them acts of service. It's today. And, and what a wonderful thing. You know, we can go to church Sabbath morning and we can praise the Lord and we can fellowship and we've got the whole afternoon to come home eat some food and then go out, go out into the highways and the byways and show some love and and encourage someone, pray with someone, share some scripture with someone, knock on some doors, give out some literature, do some letterboxing, go to a hospital, go to a nursing home. There are just endless, endless opportunities to minister on the Sabbath. So that's when the Sabbath becomes a delight. That's when the Sabbath rest is not something that you Enter in that you are blessed by, but you, God through you, is able to bless others through the Sabbath rest. And um, yeah, and that's and that's what I want to encourage you with. Now I've got a couple of minutes left, so I just want to share with you uh, a powerful story of of you know God's love, God's grace in action. Um, I was uh, pastoring. In Warhope, which is near Port Macquarie, there on the Mid North Coast, uh, for a number of years, and there was a an, uh, an, a beautiful church member. His name was Joe Patrick. Some of you may know Joe Patrick. Just a beautiful church member. He was just a real saint. We used to call him Saint Joe. Um, he was he was he was just so Christ-like. I have never ever met anyone who is as Christ-like as he was. I've met a lot of people uh, along those same lines, but he was just he was just top, just just right at the top top of the tree for me when it comes to Christ like anyway um, sadly unfortunately he passed away. Um, he was 87 at the time uh, he had a stroke in church and um, and a couple of weeks later or so he passed away and um, and at his funeral. We had the funeral. Uh, we started off with a graveside service, and then and then we went um, into a, a public hall because there wasn't enough room in the little church. And at his funeral, there was an enormous amount of people at the graveside. This is an 87 year old, and I remember the, I remember the. The funeral director asked me and he said, who was this guy, this, this Joe Patrick? Was he some um, celebrity? Was he some sportsman? Was he some politician? Who was this guy? I mean, look, you know, there was like over 300 people there at the graveside service for an 87-year-old. Like That was very unusual, he told me. And I said, no, he wasn't. He was just uh, just an ordinary Joe, excuse the pun. Um, he was, um, yeah, just an ordinary bloke. And um, But I said he was just so loving and kind. And and that is exactly what Joe was. Joe would go around Warhope and he had a farm where he lived up in Papamborough before he moved into Warhope when he was no longer able to be at the farm. He produced all sorts of fruits and vegetables and he would go. And he would visit people in need and he would drop off food to them. Um, He would make jams and and so forth and he'd drop things off to people. He'd go to the nursing home and he'd write on by hand. He'd write by hand. He didn't have a a computer, didn't have a photocopy, didn't have any of that, but he'd write by hand little scriptures, little poems, and he'd go and give them to uh, the people in the nursing home and to others. And so everyone just loved Joe. He was just an amazing man and um, and really that is the essence of what it means to fast the lord's fast that is the kind of fast that God wants that's the kind of of denying ourselves that that that's what it means to pick up your cross daily and follow Jesus because Jesus did all that Jesus did all that and joe followed in the footsteps of jesus and i want to encourage us also to follow in the footsteps of jesus and to make a difference in small ways and in large ways and to bless those who who so much need to experience the goodness and uh the joy of the gospel of god's grace may god bless you in a very special way i want to pray and then i'm going to um yeah sign off And pray that God will bless you. Father in heaven, we just thank you for all your blessings. Thank you for your word. We ask and pray that you will bless us and that we will seek to to demonstrate your wonderful grace in not only what we say, but Lord, how we live, beginning at home and moving out, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless and bye for now.